bitch lost. Sports news that top. You know Chris said, who got you taking all the shots? Tell me like who got traded, who did not, and what's the latest? Well, let's debate. Just trust the process. You know we got this in-depth analysis. Who's the bad? Yes, right here behind the line. No foul, there's no crime. Like and one, go for two, three, pull and drop to the hoop. We cover it all inside the park. The newest stud up from the bar. It's deeper stars. DTB, you're tuned into the best you'll see. Welcome to the Deep Fish Thoughts Podcast, episode number 18. I'm Chris Horvadel, joined by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, 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 we're going to talk quite a bit of NCAA basketball, as you'd imagine, but there are a couple of things I think we'd be remiss if we did not talk about happening in the sports world right now. And the first of which has got to hit you very, very close to home, everyone in the Chicago area. Jerry Krause died, you know, the uh, kind of the architect of those really, really good mid-90s Chicago Bulls teams. That's just, it's a sad day, even though, you know, Krauss dies at 77, not exactly a pillar of health. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty, probably not the best idea for me to say, but I, my immediate thought was racing towards, like, what was the best picture of Jerry Krauss I could think of? Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen him, he's just, he was never the picture of health. So, mm-hmm. um, but an indisputably brilliant, basketball mind and uh, baseball mind just always yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf's right-hand man wherever he was especially in the mid to late 90s um, obviously engineered the trade for Scottie Pippen for Olden Colonies um, one I believe he was ma- majorly responsible for uh, scouting Ozzie Guillen back in the early 80s mm-hmm. the White Sox drafted him so just really casting a wide net and a guy who um, clearly had Reinsdorf's ear one of the most successful owners, maybe not one of the best, but certainly one of the most successful owners in professional sports. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he'll be missed. And, he, you know, the memories I have of Jerry Krause are him being the punchline to every joke yeah. um, in Chicago. But the reality is that he was heavily involved with building the team around Michael Jordan that ultimately helped him win those titles without really breaking the bank for a major free agent or anything well, anything along those lines, particularly in that era when it wasn't really a possibility. He got very creative. You know, Tony Kukoc was one of the first um, European stars to really break it in, into the NBA. And, yeah. uh, you know, the trade for Dennis Rodman for Will Perdue was a genius stroke that helped, uh, helped lead them to that second streak of three titles. So um, definitely going to be missed, but Michael Jordan definitely made him his, his personal punching bag many times. Can I tell you, I have, a, I have an affinity for Tony Kukoc, and I always have because uh, I've always I've always gotten comparisons to Tony Kukoc for both better and worse because uh, oh. you know, I'm a little, you know, I'm a, I'm a taller person. I like I handle the basketball. I shoot from outside. Are you a lefty? I'm not, but but I think this oh. really gets to the point where I have absolutely no interest in going into the paint or playing a physical brand of basketball. <laughs> that is definitely the mo for Tony Kukoc, but. You know, they when they bring it back to Krauss, I mean, when they got in it, I believe it was 91, they, yeah. they signed it to Croatia. And, uh, you know, that, there were very few European or international players at that time. And uh, this was considered a very unique move. And by the time that he came over, which was the first year Michael Jordan had retired, hmm. he, he was a hot topic. And, you know, again, this was before there was a whole lot of, film i think on those types of players that was oh, available yeah. to the public and so that you know that pretty cool 
whole situation. And, and Kukoc was a very unique player for that NBA as well. No, absolutely. I remember uh, those guys were incredibly hard on Kukoc when they played him. I, yeah. I, I don't think oh, they, yeah. I don't think they played him in the. I don't think it was in the Olympics, but maybe it was one of the the qualifying games leading up to the Olympics. But yeah, they just you know because that was not something that happened. You didn't have these European stars breaking into the NBA at that point, and especially someone like Kukoc, who is you know a skilled big man who is not you know like I said, not at all interested in physical the physical aspect of the game. Oh, they were right. they gave him six ten yeah something like that. But they gave him absolute hell when they when the dream team played him. Oh yeah, the Bulls team also gave him hell. I yeah. mean, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen notoriously just ripped him apart in practices, and he was the punchline for a lot of jokes. So it was Phil Jackson let him have it quite a bit as well. But he turned out to be a very quality player. I mean, he really made himself one of the top couple foreign players in that generation. I mean, I remember Dino Raja was like mm-hmm. his best friend and. Um, Early on, it seemed like Raja would have the better career, but Kukoc definitely emerged over time. I love uh, I love Dino Raja. There, that's a fun name that has not been talked about for a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah, this is this Jerry Krause passing is bringing back a whole flooding of random '90s basketball memories for me because that's you know in large part I, I owe Krause why I love sports so much now. You know, like. Those Bulls teams, and I'm sure many people in our generation would say the same thing. Those Bulls teams were what were, were the greatest show, you know, in sports at that time for pretty much for the better part of a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And time as as everything ends up doing, tying back to the 76ers, we ended up with Kukoc in uh, in uh, God when it was 99-2000, I guess, because we ended up trading Kukoc for uh, for Dikembe Mutombo. In 2000, 2001, oh. and that was the team that, that played the Lakers in the finals and uh, stole one from the Lakers. But it turns out Shaq and Kobe are a heck of a lot better than Allen Iverson, George Hill, Eric Snow, Dikembe Mutombo, and uh, oh, George Lynch, sorry, and Tyrone Hill. Yeah, I have nothing to add Shocking. to the four to one loss series for the Sixers. Well, look, the one thing that came out of that was Iverson stepping over Tyrone Liu, and that is one of the iconic moments in NBA Finals history. That's true. That was that was a truly great moment. I'm a huge Iverson fan, so, so where I was, good. and so that's yeah, that was that was great. So you're ready for you're ready for Ice Cube and the Big Three if you want your Iverson fix. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm I can get down with that. There's some pretty hilarious old 90s names as well, which Charles Freewell is tied to it. Some other really random names. Got to feed your family. So uh, the big three is absolutely necessary. I imagine they're giving him the same $15 million a year he was making in Portland at that point. When Oh, yeah. When uh, he, that was not enough to feed the family. Got to love, love Latrell Sprewell. Let's talk about this Tom Brady nonsense uh, the jer- his jersey recovered, and um, there was a, a Mexican media executive apparently stole the jersey out of the locker. Also had Tom Brady's uh, previous Super Bowl jersey, and it w- I saw that it was suspected. I'm not sure if we ever got clarification that he had Von Miller's helmet and cleats from the Super Bowl 50. What do you make of all of this, and how long is this guy going to jail for? <laughs> uh. 
Well, first of all, did they really need? Was it the FBI that was involved that well, helped fund it? Or of course, it, I mean, it was a federal crime, so it's going to be the FBI that's involved in it. I'm not saying that it it should be. I'm not saying it should be taken that seriously, but it is a federal crime. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I um, you're gonna have to pardon my indifference on this, I guess. <laughs> because, like, who cares? Honestly, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it seems like such a silly story and everything uh, around Brady and the Pat seems just kind of really stupid yes. and overblown. And so, but I guess that's, that's how it is with the star starriest of stars. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do I make of it? It's just sort of, <laughs> it seems silly. It seems like a silly allocation of very important resources. How do you figure? How do you figure? What, what else um, would, what else would we possibly be asking the FBI to do if not, Hunt no, down the Tom Brady jersey. You're right. You're right. This is, seems extremely important to track, and I'm <laughs> very, very happy our tax money is going to that. Uh, look, I'm never, ever, ever going to steer this in a political, a political way. But honestly, isn't it probably better that that's what our FBI is worried about right now than anything that could potentially come from our president? I think it's just safer. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Yes. <laughs> if you if you presume that the FBI works at the president's disposal rather than to yeah. check or balance him, but yes, there is agreed. checks and balances has been over for a long time. Um, <laughs> oh, so God. yeah, this is it's a ridiculous story, and uh, hey, it's solved now. So that's that's wonderful, and we can all move on with our lives. Um, yes, we can breathe easy knowing Tom Brady's jersey, used game jersey, is in safe hands. <laughs> Much more fun story is everything that's going on around Marshawn Lynch right now. And I am fascinated by this because I want this to happen so desperately, Anshu. Uh, you know, Lynch, is, Lynch has been saying recently and both to other players and through his agent that he's interested in potentially getting back into football, but it's going to be Oakland or bust. Uh, he kind of puts Seattle in a bad situation should he unretire because the Seattle currently has about $14 million of cap space. The second that Marshawn unretires, he's going to take up $9 million of that. So they would be forced to trade or or cut him, um, especially given that they just randomly decided to sign Latavius Murray when I don't think running back was much of a need for them anyway. But Eddie, Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy. I'm sorry. Eddie Lacy. Latavius Murray's in Minnesota. Um, yep. Yeah, so they signed the 278-pound Eddie Lacy, and that's exciting for them, which is weird because it seems like Thomas Rawls was the, the power runner on that team, so God knows what Lacy's role is going to be. Um, but yeah, Marshawn trying to get himself to the Raiders. The Raiders definitely have a need at that position. And uh, what do you think, what can we expect from, from a guy like Marshawn with a year off if this happens, you know, could he have a big year in Oakland? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, he could. It, they have this is a team that you know we talked about a lot when we started this show, as far mm -hmm. as you know, having that perimeter attack. I think if you add the power back that can that is proven to be a bell cow type in Marshawn Lynch, mm -hmm. you know, you really complete the picture of that offense, especially after adding Jared Cooks. But I will say, you know, I. That being said, I, I don't think anyone has any disillusions about what Marshawn would bring to the table at this stage of his career. I mean, uh -huh. a year off. For a guy that wasn't exactly, you know, the picture of 
great training before that. Like, I mean, very good running back, but I wouldn't call him like, uh, you know, like if Adrian Peterson took a year off, I don't think there would be anybody concerned about his training. I'm yeah. not saying I'm concerned about Marshall Lynch's training. I just wouldn't trust him as like a three down back type. And I'm not sure that he would need to be. I mean, they've, they would definitely count on the pass game and on those two backups that they have at running back much more than a team like Seattle might. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I read that Seattle was going to um, be fine with him going and, I'm not sure what the salary ramifications of cutting him would be if they would actually be on the hook for that or if there would be some kind of, um, I don't know, cat, like caveat or loophole with having him retire and unretire and if they'd mm-hmm. be on the hook for that. But, um, you know, I'm sure they could shake out an agreement that doesn't put his salary onto their plate. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I to your point, I think it's a really fun and interesting story, and yeah. I would love to see it happen. Can I tell you that if Marshawn ends up in Oakland, this is the number one selling jersey in football next year? Oh, yeah. Our Oakland fan's huge. Yeah, I know he's from the area, but yeah, um, no you think question. they would buy that up? No question. Every, I would not be able to drive into Berkeley without seeing 70 people wearing Marshawn jerseys. <laughs> That's cool. I have no problem with that. I feel like that'd be a, a really fun thing to have, you know, some juice back there. And I, well, and then not literally. The, yeah. The, the, que- the question is, does, is he still on the team when they moved to Las Vegas in a couple of years? Probably not. Nah, probably not. And that's why I was surprised that you said he'd be the number one selling Jersey, but you oh, know, yeah. you're not talking about any big name quarterbacks really coming out and yeah, it makes, makes some sense. I don't know that Jared Goff Jersey could explode this year. <laughs> like literally be lit on the yeah, fire. Yeah. That's, that's, it's certainly possible. That is entire. Oh man, he's terrible. Uh, Really quick, really, really quick baseball. Uh, great story once in a, once back in the day, but Ryan Vogelsong has been cut by the Twins, uh, now 37 years old, high ERA last year, kind of inconsistent over the last few. Seems like the, the fairy tale is coming to a close. Does he have anything left to help anybody, or is this just, you know, good job, now enjoy retirement? Um, yeah, probably more the latter than the former. I saw that John Dank was also a cut yeah. either yesterday or the day before. Kind of a similar story, although Dank had a much more impressive pedigree as he was coming up through the Rangers and White Sox. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I think that, uh, I, I mean, I don't think Ryan Vogelsong has anything to prove at this point. I'm sure, I'm sure he's on one of the, he's won multiple World Series, mm-hmm. been in that rotation. Um, this is a guy who can hang his hat and, you know, hang them up, I guess, and be fine with it. There's, I, I don't think, I don't, I think there are way too many young power arms around baseball where Brian Vogelsong really gets more than like a camp invite, which is what he got here. By the way, speaking of young power arms, people are really, really, really hyping up uh, Michael Kopich from the White Sox. <laughs> can, can he? Can he reach the level of hype that is surrounding him at this point? What would he actually have to do this season? And as a White Sox fan, what do you think the chances are that he starts the season with the big club? Oh, he's yeah, – there's no chance. They they won't put him up there. But he's already proven that he can get big league – big-time big league batters out. I mean, he did a number on the Cubs. That was, that's, that was a good sign, I would say, mm. um, talking about just great lineups. But – 
uh, yeah, Kopik is he's still young enough. They've got a lot of work to do with him. Um, mm. And I think the concern right now is elongating his ability to, you know, to 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 pitch six or seven innings. I mean, he's done it in brief flashes. He's come out of the pen for them a little bit here um, this season, this pre this spring training. But I don't I don't think there's any chance he breaks with the club. That I mean, I think there's an outside chance he doesn't. Or there's a good chance he doesn't break with the club next year just to preserve wow. his Super 2 rights. Wow, fair enough. I mean, he's, he's still really young. He's like, I think he's 20 or 19, 20, I believe. Um, they have no need to rush this kid um, and no need to put any sort of stress on that arm or high leverage innings on that arm right now. They're not going to compete this year. They're not going to compete next year. When they're ready to, he'll be there. And I think that, I think he'll be up next year around May or June. And then the year after that, I believe 2019. They'll be ready to uh, to be that number three starter, hopefully for them. Yeah, I just I hear about him on the radio and on TV all of the time because you know it's the it's the quote unquote hundred mile an hour, hundred five mile an hour fastball and the, the long blonde hair and the the girlfriend on the reality show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I, I just I I worry that this is going to be one of these guys who too much goes to his head too soon. And you know he yeah. he gets to the majors in two years and with a high four ERA and you know just never gets that never gets the the mental side of the game I guess because that does not seem to be what he's concerned with right now. Uh yeah I mean honestly I think that that's a little bit of stereotyping for him I mean or or painting with a broad brush I I agree that he's he's definitely a big name guy but I. From what I've seen, this guy has really embraced Don Cooper's um, his tutelage, and Cooper well known for his work along with Ray Searage um, in Pittsburgh with pitching and bringing up the best. And when you combine this talent with that type of coach, uh, I think you, you really have the makings of something great, as you saw with Chris Sale. Um, I, I think that you know I, this kid is driven like hell. It seems like, but. I, I I think that one thing you have to be concerned with with the pitcher always is you know it's a it's all about changing speed yeah. and setting people up in the sequencing and that's a very intelligent sort of processing mechanism that they need to go through and I I, I am concerned with players like Kopic I don't know about him specifically but power arms often get lost in the shuffle because they don't care about the sequencing they count too much on their stuff and. Mm. Uh, it's definitely something to consider as we move forward, but I, I don't think you'll see him in a major league park near you within the next calendar year. Well, and the other thing to be concerned about with those power arms is that, like you said, they do rely so much on their stuff. They're one injury away from being a guy who throws in the mid-90s and is far, far, true. far less effective. True, true. I mean, absolutely true. I But, I, uh, hey, you see that with some of the Mets power arms. I mean, a year mm-hmm. ago it was like, wow, they, there are too many to count, and now it's kind of like, I mean, they're not scrapping for players, but you look at Zach Wheeler, Matt Harvey, mm. uh, even Syndergaard, to some extent, you're kind of concerned about that arm. DeGrom kind of fell by the wayside late last season. So uh, definitely something uh, I agree. I mean, th- and this is why I think the Cubs and the Astros both really built their entire systems around great hitting because mm. pitching is just way more volatile and it just takes one bad injury. And we're just not at the place yet where we know what causes these injuries. And, um, and you know, that's that's certainly the next frontier in, you know, advanced medical analytics as they relate to baseball. But I, I'm, I'm 
I have concerns certainly about the White Sox going all in on pitching, and especially yeah. power pitching with these trades because, um, you know, it's just tough to count on them. It is. And, you know, one thing I, get, I did not have on my list of things to talk about today but absolutely needs to be addressed is the the terrible announcement that, that Dwight Clark has ALS. And that was one of those things when it comes across your phone. It's just it puts a damper on the entire day. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough, man. I mean, and with football, it's always like it's it's such a you got it's cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got a part of when you watch it, you have to ignore the realities of what you're actually watching, that it's basically today's version of gladiator blood sport. And, um, you know, these guys signed have pretty much signed themselves up for losing years off their life or, you know, not living the same type of life they otherwise would for the millions that they make and the glory of the game. So, um, this is, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'll admit, I'm not sure if that, that seems, that's a genetic disease, right? Like, yeah. so it's not caused by, um, by the game, but mm. uh, you know, like again, it's sort of the same type of thing where you know you just see it and you, you know your heart broken after they're done playing that this sort of thing happens, obviously. And um, but it is fun to relive some of the real glory days too when you think about when these types of things happen. It's brought to your attention just how great some of these players and um, decision makers in Jerry Krause's case were. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick NBA draft stuff. We have a couple of a couple of NBA draft announcements now that the tournament is starting to to wind down past the first couple of rounds. Uh, one surprise: Texas A&M power forward center, probably better as a center, Robert Williams, is going to stay at Texas A&M uh, for his mm-hmm. sophomore season. Widely thought of as a pretty much a surefire lottery pick, super athletic, average 12 points, eight rebounds, and two and a half blocks a game. Uh, are you surprised that Williams is coming back to Texas A&M? Because I guess we've talked about your perspective on NFL players leaving early, but I, I guess I don't know what you think uh, about the NBA players bolting as quickly as possible. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's sort of similar to the quarterbacks that I said should go early this year because mm-hmm. um, I think next year's class is just so good. I, I see it being sort of the opposite. I think this is that really deep – class in the NBA and I I think it makes a lot of sense for a guy like Williams who didn't I mean you know the athleticism's all there like you say um the size is there but you know this this draft is loaded I mean that that lottery is chock full I can't imagine Williams breaking the lottery this year I mean maybe but definitely lottery talent but um next year he will for sure it seems like so uh I think this is a good call for him to, to go back well, I mean, the one thing that you can point at tangibly is the shooting because this is becoming more and more of a shooter's league in the mm-hmm. NBA. And, you know, that is not something that he was particularly good at while he shot well from the field. Yep. That's largely on dunks and shots around the basket. Uh, 11% from three and 59% from the line. So I, I guess he, he is kind of viewed as an undersized four, uh, undersized five at this point. So I, if you can bring those numbers up, I guess you can help those percentages. Although I do think the top of next year's draft looks like it could be pretty decent. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have. I guess I don't have a giant problem with this, but it was surprising because we live in a culture, especially with the NBA now and the rules surrounding being able to declare, take the workouts, get the feedback, and then pull out. It's surprising to see a guy just say no to that. 
Yeah, good. Po- I mean, that's a great point. I totally forgot about that part of the process where he could have just come back. But, you know, maybe this is a guy that just absolutely knew that he wasn't going to be a part of that. I, mm. You're right. There's really no downside to these guys actually going, sticking their name in the hat, competing against other draftable players, and then just deciding to come back. And I actually really like that element to the NBA college Um you know, the union at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the NFL could probably take a page from that book. Maybe, I don't know about let these guys participate in the combine, but, you know, like allow them to work out or, or be a part of certain activities leading up to the combine and then let the players determine it based on that. I, I'm not exactly sure if it's the same. Obviously it's not apples to apples because the game is so much tougher. Football is, but um, or more physical, I should say. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. But, no, that's a great point. I mean, I'm I'm surprised we hear about anybody just automatically coming back. Yeah, I know. We see every year that uh, Kentucky says that every single one of their underclassmen are going to declare for the draft. Last year we even had the, uh, the, the, the walk-ons and a couple of, like, six-foot white kids from Kentucky declare for the draft who did not and will never get off the bench for that team. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, it's sort of – I don't know. I like the I like the element of everybody can get a shot and everybody can get feedback. It would be a nightmare for me if I was if you were running an NBA team just because of the sheer number oh, yeah. of people you have to worry about and you really have to prioritize who you want to look at and who you don't. Uh, I don't know. I'm still surprised yeah, that he that didn't, didn't declare at all. Uh, two guys that did declare for the draft: Oklahoma point guard Juwan Evans and Syracuse wing. Power forward Tyler Lydon. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think goes higher out of these two? And you know, does Evans crack that first round? Oh yeah, I love Evans. I think that he is. Basically, where did Demetrius Jackson go last year from Notre Dame? I uh, want to say he went high two, high two. I think because he didnn't get a guaranteed two, two, contract okay. from Boston. Well, he did get a guaranteed uh, okay. contract, but it was a second round pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it though. Okay, I I remember leading up, he was being talked about in the 20 to late teen range and i think that john evans is a better version of him i mean definitely a good shooter um and in today's nba if you can get that three and d type point guard you're really set there um or at least off the bench you can get that spark plug score um i think if oklahoma state didn't run into michigan uh a red hot michigan team we'd be talking about them Mm -hmm. still being in it and uh, you know, they just ran into a buzz. So I love this Mich- this Oklahoma State team. And Evans ran a very up-tempo uh, system, Brad, Brad Underwood's system. Um, I think that that would have been yeah, – I think that he's really well-positioned to be a quality NBA player. I would expect him to go in the top 20 probably, late late teams. Demetrius Jackson was the number 45 pick in the draft last year, so actually a, a mid-second okay. round pick. Gotcha. Is Evan? I believe Evans is taller. Um, definitely think, a better shooter. Think, Different kind of players, I guess. Yeah, I think Evans is listed at six one, as was Jackson, but I don't know what exactly what Jackson measured out at. Um, I like Jackson leading up to the draft last year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juwan Evans. I did too. Juwan Evans is is listed at six one one eighty five, which is I believe identical to what Demetrius Jackson was listed at. So yeah, similar body right. types, but Evans has elite athleticism, whereas, I mean, it's funny to say somebody like Demetrius Jackson doesn't have elite athleticism, but by NBA, yeah. by NBA standards, he's above average, not great. Juwan Evans is in, yeah. that, is in that great to elite 
So a little bit different. Plus, he's a really good shooter, I think. I think he'll be a much better. He, his shot portends better than Jackson's did to me coming out of college. I thought that Jackson's game was much more off-the-dribble dependent, mm-hmm. and I think that Evans is going to – Evans is going to be more of a shooter. So if you combine that with the athleticism and uh, the experience and an up-tempo offense, I think you're looking at really good things. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed by Jackson's last year at Notre Dame because uh, that what he left as a junior, I believe, right? So that sophomore yep. year. They went on a big run, though. Yeah, I just meant statistically because uh, that, oh, that that okay. sophomore year, he had you know a nice a nice like bounce up, tick up from that freshman season. And I think he shot something crazy like 44% from three. But he was largely playing off the ball to a point guard who I can't remember, but there was another good point guard at Notre Dame. And then he gets ball handling responsibilities his last year there. And while assistant stuff goes up, his efficiency is a little bit down. His shooting is considerably down. And uh, yeah, I was a, I was a little, bit, little bit let down by Demetrius Jackson's last year. But... And he's in a bad situation, and just for himself in Boston, because that that team is chock full of uh, of guard prospects. So, good luck yeah, to him. Uh, what, what do we think of Tyler Lydon? This is kind of a, a modern day NBA big guy. Can can go outside and shoot a little bit. Can block shots. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a place for him as like a second team big in the NBA as a you know kind of a poor man's canter type. Mm-hmm. I. I don't see him being a first-round pick. If he is, it's sort of a later first. But I definitely think he's, there's a place for him as a rotational big in the pros. Agreed. Uh, shift to the NFL draft for just a moment. And uh, your favorite player in this NFL Ooh, draft. And a guy, all fields. A guy who, exactly. A guy who said, you've said many times could turn into the best quarterback in the history of football is Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, and uh, not a single head coach showed up for his pro day. Wow, really? Not one. Not one. Oh, boy, that's tough. I, where are we thinking? See, all right, so leading up to this draft in general, I, I am more – I have more questions about this draft in the early stages than any draft I've ever yeah. – I can remember. Like, I mean, outside of number one, literally, I don't know where anybody's going. I think I know – Solomon Thomas is going to the top four. Mm. I think I know that Jonathan Allen's going to the top five or six. Do you know? Um, all this talk about I'm Allen not, falling, you know, kind of hard because of the shoulder questions. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I I said I think I know. Yeah. I think that he's going to. I think that Jamal Adams is going to be a top ten pick, but there are people who think that he might fall out of the first round. That's insane. Um, you know, it's probably it's probably just smoke screens but you know you've got issues with Malik Hooker with his injuries yeah. uh Lattimore mm-hmm. I mean there are uh, there are really very few completely clean prospects you've got the number one guy and then to circle it back to what you were asking I mean where do these quarterbacks go who's trading up for who I mean mm-hmm. I, I just I or who's tra- everyone seems like they want to trade down because they think they can get this player that player one of the most solid players, can't miss type players in this draft, I thought was Ruben Foster, um, but he plays a at a position that's not especially valued in the NFL. B, he has the crazy blow up at the combine. Yep. Um, and so now you're, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is the most scattered draft I can remember. Like, and and you don't have a ton of good players at a premium position, which is offensive tackle. So. It's just throwing the whole thing out of whack. Do you, do you agree with that, or how do you feel? I agree, specifically in terms of Foster, because you know prior to the combine, this is somebody who 
people were starting to mock to the 49ers at two, which I thought was ridiculous, but still it was out there in the stratosphere. Uh, Tony mm-hmm. Pauline said today that a team with a top 15 selection that that needs linebackers is not interested in Ruben Foster. He's not on their board. Um, sure. He already had an immature, uh, he already had immaturity issues with life skills. It's the same guy and evaluator for the team said we're not in the market. Foster projected first round pick is considered to be uh, the draft's top linebacker. And uh, his college coaches constantly defended him, but issues mm-hmm. issues with maturity are certainly paramount when it comes to scouting Foster. You're right. There, I just I I don't know, and I I think it's fascinating too because oh, I it's just I feel like anybody could go anywhere and you could argue it. Marcus yep. Marcus, um, Marcus Marshawn Lattimore could be the number two pick in the draft, and you'd be like, okay, all right, fine. He could be the number 20 pick in the draft. And you're like, okay, I, I understand why that happened. And, exactly. Uh, I was talking to I was talking to my girlfriend about this last night because she's a Browns fan. And I think the dream scenario for them with all this talk of Jonathan Allen dropping is, is Jonathan Allen oh, to the Browns God. at 12. I mean, Ugh. you talk about completing a defensive line with Miles Garrett, uh, Danny Shelton, Jonathan Allen, and Emmanuel Ogba. That is going to be the nfl's best defensive line in a couple of years that that is the dream yeah. scenario if you get them and i mean even if you don't i think that you know the sweet spot in this year's draft seems to be right in the middle mm-hmm. you know right in the 15 range where you're not over drafting a guy like honestly it seems like some of those corners that you mentioned i mean even the safeties like you know that i think that drafting them that early is a little bit of a reach i don't think Solomon Thomas is a true top three type guy that you would want in a normal year. Uh-huh. Um, not knocking him. I think that he's fine. I think that he could be a very good player. He's got great motor, great athleticism, but, you know, not your clean, super clean prospect, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I think that at 12, the Browns, A, they get the number one player in the in a draft that's clearly got a top rate at the top player, yeah, right? Yeah, one player and that one blue yes exactly and that's always the goal and then number two you've got the 12th pick and a, and you've got a chance at a guy like say oj howard or yeah. you know some of the other i i mean i i don't think they can go wrong and it's such a great spot to be in plus they have all these other picks in a very deep draft and don't confuse the scatter and randomness of these player stocks with me or you thinking that this draft is bad right oh like, absolutely this is a good draft absolutely but it's it's just that there are so many red chips, right? Yeah. Like there's like, yeah. I mean, there's like, there's probably like 40 first round types and there are only 32 positions and they're all like from two to 42. That's where they're all going to go. <laughs> yes. And so, yes. um, it's, I mean, it's a great draft to have number one and it's a great draft to have number 12. And then they also have that early second. So, you know, it's a super, I, I mean, it's going to be really fun for, I mean, I think the Eagles are in a great spot, too, just drafting right in the middle of that round. Yeah. But there are going to be a lot of reaches in that 6, 7, 8 range, I think, where we're all kind of like, eh, you probably could have gotten him in the you know, in the 20 range. Right? Yeah. Like, that seems to be the case. Well, you're right about the ambiguity. Let's just do this real quick. Position by position, you tell me, is there a clear-cut number one player? Because I think this is sure. really going to make your point. Uh, quarterback, the top guys, Trubisky, Watson, Kaiser. Is there a clear-cut number one? No. Running backs, Cook, Fournette, McCaffrey, Kamara, Mixon, et cetera. Clear-cut number one? I think Fournette is. Um, I know there's been a lot about Cook and, you know, some about McCaffrey and Kamara. I I think Fournette is clearly the number one guy. But, you know, you've, we've seen other people get go number one in that group. Okay. 
Uh, wide receiver, Corey Davis, John Ross, Mike Williams. Is there a number one? I think Corey Davis has sort of separated himself. Do you but really? Some team could get, I think some team, some team could totally get – all right, to me, Corey Davis is the best. Okay. Okay, but I, I – you know, you could totally – Corey Davis's medicals, again, not a clean prospect. John Ross, huge medical questions. Yeah. Great speed, great hands. Again, medicals are an issue. Mike Williams, same thing, also kind of slow. So, at least running – at least in terms of the testing. So, yeah, no, to your point, like, to me, Corey Davis is the best one. Okay. But to the evaluators, definitely not a unanimous Well, we're, this, is, this is just the Anshu Kana opinion here. We're not worried about anybody else. And for the record, I think Mike Williams is the best running back uh, – best wide receiver in this class. I think we both think – That proves your point. Yeah, I think, I think we both think O.J. Howard is definitely the top tight end in this class. So, we'll – We'll yeah. skip that. But there are people that think Njoku is, is better. But no, I, no, I'm they're wrong. Uh, right. off, at offensive tackle, you have Ramchek, Bowles, and Cam Robinson. Clear number one to you? I, no, I, I don't think you can. I, I think Ramchek is really good, but he's a one-year guy after transferring, and he's got injury issues. Uh, offensive guard is uh, Forrest Lamp, Dan Feeney, and uh, Deion Dawkins. Number one to you? Yeah, I think Lamp is the best, Agreed. clearly, of that group. Agreed. Uh, centers, nobody really cares about centers, so we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Defensive end, obviously there's a clear-cut number one, but it just so happens that one of the other top three or four guys in this draft is uh, probably a defensive end in that defensive end class as well, and Solomon Thomas. Mm-hmm. Defensive mm-hmm. tackle is uh, is John Allen, Malik McDowell, and Caleb Brantley. I think we, you, know, you and I both yeah. agree Allen is the number one guy there. Inside linebacker yep. is Foster, Raquan McMillan, so yeah, I mean, Foster... I think Raekwon McMillan is wildly Hassan Riddick. Hassan Riddick, a lot of people really think is well. I think he's I think he's outside. Boards. I think he's outside. Hmm. So I, I I don't think he's big enough, or I don't think he's Zach big enough. Zach Cunningham. Enough. Well, there he goes. Outside linebacker is uh, is Reddick, Zach Cunningham, Takaris McKinley, Tim Williams, T.J. Watt. So hmm. while it so is, I'm wondering how you're. So you're saying edge, edge like. Because you're kind of conflating the three four four three thing, right? Like that's at, tough. I mean, that's always tough because different teams are going right. to have different definitions of where these guys are going to fit. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for my own my own sake, I would say that that Reddick's an outside guy, but certainly could see him playing inside. I just worry about his height a little bit inside. Uh, regardless, regardless, if if Reddick's an outside guy, then I think we both agree that Reddick is the the best outside guy. Um, <sighs> Unless I don't you, know. Are you, you big Zach Cunningham fan? Who who challenges him for you? I I think well uh, first of all I think Reddick and Cunningham are both inside guys in a three four. Okay. But um, I I like Tim Williams honestly. Okay. I know that he's. Uh, I mean, if I'm again, I'm biased because I I look at it through the lens of a three four generally. Yeah. Um, I like Tim Williams. I think that he's a notch above T.J. Watt and. I'm not including Reddick in that, but okay. if, if if I did, like if I had to pick one of them and I need it both, I I get why you'd say Reddick. I think it's it's unknown for me at least between that four that group of four. Well, in that case, then that that muddies the inside linebacker waters for you if you're counting Reddick inside be, with Reddick and Foster. No, I th- no, I think I think Foster is by far the best. Okay. I still like Foster a lot. I like his violence. I like the I like his production. <laughs> he's he's gonna be a good player. I like that football is a sport where we can say his violence is a positive. Yeah. <laughs> his on-field violence, yeah. to be clear. All right, cornerback, Marshawn Latimer, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Fabian Moreau, Tredavious White. Yeah, I can't I can't pick one. Honestly, you can go further than that, too, with Tease Tabor and Gary yeah. Conley and uh, Quincy Wilson and so on and so forth. Yeah, I loved Sidney Jones 
more than any of them, but he's he's banged up, and you know I think you could. There's definitely a case to be made for Lattimore of all of them. So that being said, I, I think that's a great group of players, and that's why I think you'll see some. I'd be surprised if one of those corners goes early, just because like in the top five, just because those teams could get one of those other ones in the second round. Yeah, or in potentially the third. The, picking at the, the top of the third round, there are still going to be cornerbacks on from that list on the board. Absolutely. And, uh, and safety is kind of like linebacker, where depending on what your team's defensive scheme is, is going to classify whether guys are free or are strong. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole group, is, you have Malik Hooker, you have Jamal Adams, you have uh, Mel Fonwu, the combine darling, Jabril Peppers, yeah. So it's kind of Hooker or Adams for you, I guess. Yeah, I think, I, oh man, that's tough. I think it's flip a coin. If Hooker's medical is clear, then it's a flip a coin. Otherwise, I like Adams more. I think Adams brings a lot of toughness to a defense in the back end, but it's tough. I right, say I don't know if he'll be able to cover. Real quick, you just mentioned Sidney Jones. He had his uh, he had a surgery for the torn Achilles today, and he's saying that he's going to be ready to play this season. One, if you're an NFL team, would you let him play the season? And two, how much does that, him potentially being ready at some point, help his draft stock bounce back a little bit? Uh, I think that's just the player saying what he wants teams to hear. I, I Probably can't right. imagine he's going to play. Torn Achilles is a brutal injury, man. I I love this kid. I thought that he was going to be, I was just hoping against hope he'd be there sometime in the middle of the round. The Packers would trade up or something. Mm. He just seemed ready-made. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't take him in the first two days for really? sure. Really? Nah. Nah. I mean, that's a redshirt year for a guy that you don't know at a position where he needs his, I mean, he needs his feet and ankles, you yeah. know, like that's, that's going to be super important for him to be able to change direction and all that. You're not sure that he's going to be able to retain the speed that made him, you know, a top, top guy. I, I've said this a couple of times, but if he's on the board with the first pick in the third round, I don't hesitate a second if I'm Cleveland to take him. Mm, wow. That's not, yeah, not a second. It, I, the worry to me is the Achilles, man. Like I, I, I agree that the player, I would totally redshirt him for a year too. Yes. And you're right. Cleveland is in a very unique spot where they can afford to take that risk. Correct. A, because they suck. B, because yes. they have like a million picks in the next two years. So yeah, to that end, yeah, you're right. That's, that's an interesting <sighs> take. All right. Well, college basketball happened, don't you? Uh, terrible, it did. Terrible, it did happen. Terrible, terrible it things. sure did. Horrible, horrible <laughs> tragedies. Um, my villain of the Wildcats faced off against your Wisconsin Badgers, and uh, on that day, the Badgers got the best of the Wildcats. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'd like to say I'm happy for you, but I'm not. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm. It's just miserable. Um, congratulations on moving on. It was it was a, an interesting field of thirty-two, and uh, yeah, I got it. that. That's all. That's all. That's as nice as I can be about that. <laughs> I I totally get it. I get it. I would feel the exact same way, my friend. So I appreciate that. I think in a best of seven, you know, I I don't think it would have gone the same way. But I I thought it was a very well played game. And the moral of the story we kind of talked about this earlier is, um, before the show is, you know, they I. Villanova got absolutely hosed by the committee when it came to the placement. Like, clearly yeah. they got screwed over by this. It stinks, but at the end of the day, you have to play everybody anyway if you want to win. So, yeah, Do they, though? Like... Here, here's the interesting thing. So, well, I know what you're saying, but here's the interesting <laughs> thing about Villanova is that, and this is hard coming from me to say this publicly, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing we all think about, but 
nobody actually says out loud. So I think this 2016 national championship sort of whitewashed some of the problems with this program. And there mm. are, there are quite a few. This is a team that if you take 2016 out, this is a team that has a history of losing early on in the tournament, despite their high seeds. This is Jay Wright specifically is a coach who has been unable for whatever reason to, to translate these constant, constant high seeds, constant tournament appearances and constantly high national rankings into elite recruiting classes. Uh, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking, who, give me an argument. Who is your argument? Who is the last McDonald's all American? We brought in Amari Spellman last year. Brunson. Well, Brunson, Brunson. Yeah. It was two years ago. Spellman was last year. Yeah. But, I mean, these are, okay. you know, borderline top 20 players in their classes, and I'm thrilled to get either one of them. And I think that had we had Amari Spellman eligible, McDonald's All-American big guy from last year who didn't quite make grades, things might have gone a little bit differently because Daryl Reynolds is an mm-hmm. absolute albatross uh, to start at the center position. And he's a guy who you have to start just because somebody has to start. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the issue with Jay Wright and the Villanova program is not really Jay Wright as a person, because he seems like a, a gem of a guy, honestly. Uh, but I, to be debated, it seems like seems that way, honestly. But um, that's from afar. Yeah. Could be out of town, stupid. My point is, you, look, it's hard to string together four straight awesome shooting performances, and that mm-hmm. is what Villanova is built around. They are there's a perimeter oriented team. They've been that way throughout the Wright era. They rarely have the inside presence that you need to really beat some of the. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking about any big time team, like any big conference team. What do people always say? The difference between the power conferences and the mid majors is size and depth. And this is a team that rarely does both those things yep. well. Like they, I mean, it's and that's why they become exposed against teams like Wisconsin, who's got a ton of seniors. I mean, you're going to run into teams like that in the tournament. It's just bound to happen. And Either you can shoot your way out of it, which is what exactly what they did last year, in a way that almost no national champion has ever done and sustained for six games, mm-hmm. or you know you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat by a big time, a big team in a big conference, and so that's what happened in this case. I think. I mean, the size difference was evident late yeah. in the game, and Wisconsin isn't like a super big team, right? They're, they're just like sort of your average team when it comes to the size. They, mm-hmm. they definitely have two good low post players, three good low post players, but not like, um, this isn't Purdue, right? This isn't a right. team with two amazing bigs. And I think that, that that will continue to be exposed. Maybe Spellman would have made a difference when you add that size and strength um, and low post presence. But, you know, it's going to be tough as long as Jay Wright's teams are counting on three. Yeah, you know, we've we've had very bad luck recruiting these top big guys uh jay frazier was uh, a top 10 recruit coming out of new york and basically his knees fell apart the second he walked onto campus a chef who <laughs> only really pulled things together his senior season despite being another super was, high recruit yeah. and he was he yep. was critical for that national championship team and absolutely uh, and obviously spellman wasn't eligible this year but one of the other stories that kind of gets lost in this year is i think what happened with Chris Jenkins hitting that shot to win the national championship last year got to his head a little bit. And I think, he, I think he thought he's a little bit better than he was. I don't think he worked as hard as he maybe needed to, to continue to get better. Just had a bad year. He was just not good for this Wildcats team. His shooting dropped from 45% to the field uh, from the field last year to 38 this year. 
His wow. his three point shooting dropped from thirty eight percent to thirty six percent, and you know he his his assists dropped, his blocks dropped, his steals went up a little bit, but points per game dropped, and he was just you're you're not going to win a game in the in the NCAA tournament if you get two points from Chris Jenkins and Michael Bridges oh, yeah. or whatever whatever it was they got. The, the only reason Villanova was even in that game. And this is not an insult to, to Josh Hart, who played his consistent Josh Hart, incredibly tough, incredibly efficient game. So tough, yeah. Was, uh, was Divin, uh, DiVincenzo, who just came out of nowhere this tournament to, you know, give fans hope for the future. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, my whole thinking after all of this was, as long as Jalen or Michael Bridges doesn't make a bad decision and go pro, this team's still going to be very, very good next year with, you know, with Brunson, DiVincenzo, um, Bridges, Pascal, and Spellman. Plus, we have a top 50 guy in Jermaine Samuels. We get Phil Booth back, and you know, Phil Booth was a big miss not having him off the bench at guard. We're going to be fine. I think it's it's not a it's not a number one overall team next year, but I think it's a it's a top five, top ten team. And uh, and and, yeah. and life goes on as as the Badgers go on in this tournament. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, I honestly I thought that the game could have been <laughs> it could have gone a lot worse. I thought that Josh Hart was really gutty as he always great. is. Um, you know, I I thought that the team felt the loss of RG Diacono and several of their losses this year. Mm-hmm. This was one of those where they could have used the galvanizing three point shooting and you know, I, I mean DiVincenzo DiVincenzo, like you were saying, really picked up some of the slack that Jenkins left behind a little bit in this game, but mm-hmm. um you know, I, I I also think that if the batters don't get in a ton of foul trouble, yes. which they, you know, you can say is fine, maybe they deserved it in some cases, but you know, if you're talking about their two best players on the bench for big chunks of time late in the game, you're right. Um, and Koenig and, and Hap, I mean, this game could have been even more of a difference. You know, like yeah. it maybe not have come down to the last possession or two. So they definitely have some work to do in the post, but it sounds like they they'll be ready to reload and and be really solid again next year. I mean, this is they're built to win a lot in the regular season. I just don't know how much they've been built traditionally to win in the tournament. Koenig is an absolute killer. That guy is just yeah. cold blooded. <laughs> he is. He really. That's the perfect praise for him. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we get to or I get to see him. Another round, at least. I think yeah. that he's got one or two more really big shots left in him. So, interested to see how this goes for them um, coming off that because the region has really opened up with Duke out as well. By the way, last year's uh, last year's hero, Chris Jenkins. This year's tournament, he shot four for twenty-two over two games and o of o of eight from three-point land. Oh man, so, yeah, that's that's tough for a guy that has designs on the NBA. I think no, that's, that's over. Yeah, that's that's gonna be tough. <laughs> no, he is. Uh, he's a poor man's Deshaun Thomas. Uh, Thomas or Thompson? Thomas, right from Ohio State. Thomas from Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, he's oh. a poor man's Deshaun Thomas, and I I think he uh, he was a late round pick, a late pick by the Spurs, if I remember correctly. I don't think he ever played in the NBA. No, Jenkins. Chris is gonna go make a lot of money playing in Europe. Would be my guess. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, he can shoot, and uh, he doesn't like defending a whole lot, so that's probably a good thing. All right, so that happened. I'm miserable. <laughs> let's let's real quick go over. We have the uh, we have the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight this weekend. Let's talk about the games on the 23rd, which is this Thursday. Uh, number seven Michigan against number three Oregon, aren't you? 
man, Oregon has really played well despite losing mm. their big man there in the Big 12 tournament, Pac-12 tournament. I think, I mean, obviously that super clutch shot um, late in the game, maybe the shot of the tournament so far. I like Oregon. I mean, I think this Michigan thing is going to end soon. I, I just, yeah, yeah. They're not that good. I think Oregon is the team to do at this round. Boucher right. is the guy who got hurt, right? Yes, yeah, yeah Chris Boucher got hurt. Um, number four seed, West Virginia against number one seed, Gonzaga. Man, tough spot for Gonzaga. I still got the Zags, but this is this is going to be a real, real test to them. I think West Virginia plays well into some of their weaknesses in terms of that press, and um, Gonzaga's really got to handle the ball well beyond Williams-Goss. Who I love. Who I, I love Williams-Goss, by the way. Oh, yeah. Really smooth. He's fun to watch. Uh, number four seed Purdue against the number one seed Kansas Jayhawks. Boy, I, I think that Kansas is going to handle Purdue. I thought that Purdue had a pretty easy run so far. Mm. I think it ends here against the Jayhawks in Kansas City, which is basically a home game for them. Yeah, a lot of shooting from Kansas against a, a, a big team from Purdue. And Kansas is not great up in terms of their, their post play. So True. Purdue's got a shot, but, you know, I – you're right. It's Frank Mason, Devontae Graham. That's that. That's unfair for an NCAA tournament. So too good. Kansas too goes good. on. Uh, number eleven, the darling Xavier Musketeers versus the number two <laughs> Arizona Wildcats. Boy, that game just spun out of hand really fast. Yes. There's no way. I, I one of my best friends is a huge X fan, so I'll be rooting for him. But there's absolutely no chance they can replicate the three point shooting that they had against FSU, particularly in the second half. So. I got I got Zona moving on, and that sets up a really fun, I think, Zona. Either Zona, Gonzaga, or Zona Press, Virginia. Either one would be really a good, good fun game to watch. Yeah, I can't believe that Xavier's still playing, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I, I had him losing in the first they've round. Earned it. Uh, they have, they have yeah, they've won it. both games by 10 points. That's pretty impressive against higher seeds. No, all, they get all the credit in the world. I just uh, I did not see that happening. The number, no, me the, either. The number four, Butler versus number one, North Carolina, coming off at quite a scare. Butler have been giant killers this year. If you look at some of their wins, I mean, mm. they beat Nova twice, I believe. They 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 handled Xavier throughout the season. Um, you know, they've they've beaten some really good teams throughout the course of the year, and maybe their losses too. I think it was like at Louisville and just some really tough games. I, they're battle tested for sure. But I, I think that North Carolina had its scare, like you said, and uh, I think they'll be set to go this round and, and knock them off. Are the number seven South Carolina Gamecocks? Hawks? What? Cox? Gamecocks. Gamecocks. Sorry. Gamecocks. That's all. <laughs> Mental block there because of uh, them beating Duke. I had Duke winning the whole thing. Kind of screwed up my bracket, oh, but whatever. Such likewise. As uh, against the number three Baylor Bears. I, I like Baylor. I'm, I'm going pretty chalky so far, mm. but I think that Baylor ends this dream run. Uh, South Carolina was really a perfect matchup for Duke. I thought that that was kind of their championship. I think Baylor with LeConte and, and that size are going to be just fine. The uh, And what's probably the best game in the Sweet 16, the number three UCLA Bruins against the number two Kentucky Wildcats? Oh, man, this is going to be really fun. Yes, sir. Only question to me is, is Steve Alford's one foot out the door. Um, it's interesting. This is truly a really a toss up for me. It seems like Alfred is a preferred choice at his alma mater, mm-hmm. Indiana. And so, boy, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this one? This is, I honestly, it's a complete toss up to me. I kind of lean UCLA, 
but I could see Kentucky doing it if uh, Malik Monk gets in his J.R. Smith shooting swerve. Well, I mean, I believe UCLA was the first team to beat a then-unbeaten Kentucky this season, correct? Yes, great game, great, great regular yeah. season game. So, uh, I don't know, it, it, it is really shooting. It's a matter of which team gets hot, because both of them want to shoot outside quite a bit. Uh, one of the interesting stories of this tournament is De'Aaron Fox making a case to be drafted way higher than uh, maybe I thought he should have been. Just controlling yeah, the game agreed. offensively and defensively and showing that while the, the jump shot's not great, nobody can stop him from getting in the lane whenever he wants. So it's going to be fun to see who t- who Lonzo Ball wants to go guard because Ball could look really bad and potentially hurt his stock if he tries to guard Fox and just can't stay in front of him. Um yeah, I don't know. Man, it's, that's a great point. That's such a good matchup. I'd, I'd need to. I'd love to watch some highlights back from that first meeting between these two. It, it is really a matter of just what team gets hot. So you have to take a guess who's going to get hot. Probably a little bit more on Kentucky than than there is UCLA. Malik Monk seems to live for these moments. This feels like a, a thirty-three point game from Monk in a four-point. He's win. due. He hasn't shot that well this tournament or hasn't shot with the volume you would expect so far, but I agree. I feel like he is due for a massive performance. That being said, I think Lonzo's the best player, and I'll just go Mm -hmm. with him. The more you were talking about, the more I just feel like, man, I I just feel like Lonzo Ball is going to take this game over like he wants to do, so I'm going to go with UCLA, actually. It's a fascinating perspective there because, you know, this could really be Lonzo Ball's case for going number one in the NBA draft if he does – he puts up, you know, 22 points, 13 assists, and 8 rebounds. It's going to be hard to say that somebody yep. like Markel Fultz is better than him playing against basically a roster full of uh, future NBA players on that Kentucky team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, you have T.J. Leaf can guard Bam. I, 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 I did. Yeah. Is yeah. that Adebayo? Adebayo? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, those two <laughs> – Man, it's going to be. I guarantee you there will be a. The stands will be filled with NBA scouts. It's yeah. Definitely the game of possibly the weekend, certainly of the first two rounds, of the first two days. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, in the final game, we both, I think we just both assume that Florida is going to win by 57 points. Yep, absolutely. Wisconsin, Florida, and MSG, the matchup that everybody wanted, I'm sure. Or the opposite, the yeah. exact opposite. Um, at least we're spared from Wisconsin, Virginia, which would have been like a thirty to twenty game. So, yeah, um, yeah no, I guess uh, I, I think that Florida's defense is going to be re- is it is really really good. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see if they can slow down Koenig and Hayes and Pat. I right. don't think they will, for the record. All right, Elite Eight, real quick before we go, that gives us uh, you you don't believe they will, so we're gonna you know. Homerism at its best, the Wisconsin Badgers against the the Baylor Bears in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I think the dream runs out here. I I really underestimated this Baylor team. Mm -hmm. They were ice cold late in the season. They were, I think, 6-6 at the end of the year. They're really coming on. I think too much size, too much shooting with Manu. um, I got Baylor going to the Final Four. All right, we have number one Gonzaga against number two Arizona. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. It is, and both, you know, you got Sean Miller trying to make his first Final Four, Mark Few doing the same. I got Gonzaga. I think that they've been slept on way too much. I like the Bulldogs to go to the Final Four. And by the way, you mentioned Steve Alford potentially having his eyes on that that Indiana job. 
somebody is going mm-hmm. to get a great, great, great head coach wherever Tom Crean ends up next. Wow, I am a big, that, I'm a big really? Tom Crean fan. Okay, well, yeah, I think that you know, at Indiana, he got, he just everything was his fault. You know, it's yes. one of those self-fulfilling prophecies when you lose, everything's Crean's fault. The weather sucks, it's Crean's fault. So, um, you know, I, I think that he could do just fine. He was fine before at Marquette. He'll be fine after. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a heck of a coach. And also, we uh, just got the update that Georgetown underclassman L.J. Peak going into the NBA draft and will sign with an agent. A little bit surprised that, wow. that he's going to sign with an agent, and he's definitely in because, uh, you know, Peak seems like a, a mid to late second round guy at this point and potentially undrafted, but 16 points a game last year. God bless. More power to you. Good luck, LJ. Yeah, chase that money, buddy. Yeah. Uh, number one, Kansas Jayhawks against the number three, Oregon Ducks. I got Kansas. I got Kansas, no question. This this team, Greg Mason, he's just he's got to make the Final Four this year. It'd be too it'd be too disappointing not to see that trio make the Final Four. Yeah. Do you do you worry about any of the stuff that's come out about Josh Jackson in terms of him in the NBA draft? I do. I really do. Actually, I Josh Jackson was my favorite player coming into this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's changed. I think that you know your concerns about his body type have. I've seen it more and more, mm. and um, I have some concerns about his game, and I have concerns about his disposition, more importantly. Um, but, yeah, I, he would not be in my top five right now, I don't think. Really? Really? Yeah, I, I, can definitely, I, I can definitely see the argument for bumping, because, you know, he and Tatum were kind of close at this point anyway, so I can see flipping Tatum over Jackson as a number yeah, three guy. Tatum Who else do you have? Ball. Ball and Tatum would be my top two picks, honestly. Okay. I, I love those two kids. Um, I'd go full third. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, man, what's tough? I'm trying to think through this, some of the other players right off the top of my head. Uh, I wouldn't go. I don't like Dennis Smith very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Markinen, but I think he'll be a mid, more of the mid-first-round range. Well, uh, I mean, you, have, you have Isaac, you have Monk, you have Bridges, uh, De'Aaron Fox. That's, those are probably the other guys in that conversation. I, I like Fox. I, I don't know that I'd go that high with Fox. Bridges is an awesome player. I loved his guts this weekend, too, yeah. against Kansas. Uh, coming back out after that, seemed like that hip splinter or something along those lines. It was tough yeah. to tell what the injury was, but he, I love that kid. I think that he's going to be a really good player. He's already got a lot of muscle. Um, he's he's going to be a star. I would take any of those guys over Josh Jackson right now. Oh, he's really – I think he's really sunk in my book. Do you know who, who Bridges reminds me of? And uh, I think it, probably his NBA career sort of mirrors it, it's, to some degree is Thaddeus Young. Thad Young, when he was at Georgia Tech, hmm. had to play out of position at power forward, uh, even some center. Bridges obviously played a bunch of center for Michigan State despite being probably six, six and a half. Uh, yeah, I was going to go Draymond. But I feel like that's the easy comp. I don't know that he has the ball handling skills of Draymond. Is the thing. Really, I look. He, I, I saw him quite. He definitely could shoot a lot. And once Aaron Harris got hurt, he was tasked with using holding the ball a lot more. I think this kid and the left hand is a really nice okay. little side peripheral benefit. Um, I think that as he gets older and grows into the game, he's going to be a really, really good player in the NBA. What is he? Is he a three or a four? Yeah, I think he's a three. You know, he can be a four in a small ball lineup for sure. He can shoot. He's perfect for today's NBA. I love this kid. I, you're right. I don't know that he's like – I don't know if he has the ball handling to be a true three like 
I think you've got to use him mm-hmm. kind of uniquely, but I really like his game. By the way, reports came out today the Philadelphia 76ers talking to the Indiana Pacers at the trade deadline offered Robert Covington two first-round picks, the Pacers' choice of Noel or Jalil Okafor for Paul George. Uh, Can't believe it yeah. didn't happen. Apparently, the Pacers yeah. really wanted the Pacers really wanted Saric apparently, and we were not willing to let go of him. In two, addition, in so addition the to the other firsts, the two firsts were are both not protect, unprotected firsts. Is that what that, you're that hasn't come out? I, we, I'm not sure what the, okay. the first were. Obviously, that plays a big part in it. But I, I would assume that at sure. least at least one of them was this year, and then one of them's probably either R18 or the uh, the Kings unprotected 19. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Still, I'm 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 okay with that not happening. I want to, especially. Yeah. I'm okay with that not happening. I love Covington. Anyway, uh, final final Elite Eight matchup: number one North Carolina against number three UCLA. Uh, I, boy, a lot of landmines for North Carolina, but mm. I'll take the Tar Heels to move it on. So I've got three one seeds in the final part. You agree with all that? What do you think? Uh, Wisconsin Baylor is Baylor, so that's that's our three. Zags against Arizona. I'm going to take Arizona over Gonzaga. That's going to be a two for Ooh. me. I love this. Setting I, up Arizona and Phoenix. I love, Talk I love about a yeah, home court true. advantage. I love this Arizona team. Super deep, super talented, a lot of shooting. Um, Kansas, uh, Kansas, Oregon, so it's Kansas. And UNC, UCLA. First of all, I think it's, I think it's UNC, Kentucky, Kentucky, and I'm going to take Kentucky over UNC. So I've got oh, I've got a one two two. I can see that. Okay, all right. I I went chalkier, a little chalkier. Eh, you know what? That that's been the way to go this year. This has not been last year's tournament with the Arkansas Little Rocks of the world. No. Do you do you agree with the sort of widespread premise that um, that the bat the fact that we didn't have as many upsets in the first round led to better games in the second? Or no? Of course it did. No, of course it did because the fun thing about uh, well. It's that's hard because I guess tournaments are kind of defined by their excitement in those early rounds, and yeah, it it, it makes it for a slightly less exciting tournament, but one that that has better basketball games in it. Yeah, yeah. agreed. You I love, totally agree with that. You love to see Arkansas Little Rock win two games, but then they're going to get trashed by you know a one seed <laughs> in the third round, and that's not fun. Yeah, for everybody. And I- I don't think we have any really bad-looking games in this round. I mean, you've got, like, that weird Xavier region of Wisconsin Arizona. and Florida. Xavier, but... Arizona. Xavier yeah, Arizona. Yeah, that's, a, that's true. That's a, that's a pretty crappy game. But, you know, if one out of eight games are bad, that's, that's still pretty damn good. And compared I, to, like you say, like... You know what, yeah. Oregon, Michigan, too. I think that's going to be a good game. I, I, I don't... All right, I'm, I'm going to set a line here for it. I'm going to set... I'm gonna set uh... I'm going to give you Michigan with 14 and a half points. Wow. All right. Deal. We are, I'm on for that. $1 gentleman's agreement. Yes. One unit of measurement. $1 plus also three more zeros at the end. Plus the rights to need yourself. Sounds good. Yeah, no, that, that is an official agreement. All right. So we have got our, uh, we've got our, our Elite Eight picks, our Sweet 16 picks made. We'll see just how close we came to getting that right. And, uh, you know, for the sake of the tournament, for the sake of the excitement, I hope we got quite a bit wrong. And we're talking about something completely crazy and completely different next week when we come back. 
until then, I've been Chris Horvidell. He's been Anshu Khanna. Enjoy this weekend's basketball games, and we'll be back here next Wednesday.